And now, New Galaxy Enterprises proudly presents Threshold Radio. This is Johnny Blue Star. Welcome to Threshold, a global media event. Is the universe just a random dance of atoms, or is it a manifestation of a supremely intelligent architect? Can its purpose, or our purpose here on Earth, be adequately assessed? Can we commune with it, know its intentions, cooperate with its direction? Here, we define threshold as a gateway state of awareness, allowing mankind to cross into a place of real cognition. Threshold allows us to approach questions of higher reality through the door of experience rather than mere belief. Welcome to Threshold, where we tear away the veil from commercial media, bringing our audience and participants into another realm of reality and enhanced communication. This is Johnny Bluestar. My company, New Galaxy Enterprises, specializes in the creation of media and promotional content like novels, nonfiction books, screenplays, press releases, articles, web content, etc. Our experience in creating a variety of products like this is rather vast. We offer client-based and collaborative products. Also, we offer active investors the chance to join us in the creation of proprietary products. For more information, go to NewGalaxyEnterprises.com or contact me at JohnnyBlueStar at gmail.com. Good morning, Kathy. How are you today? Good morning, Johnny. I am well. How are you? I'm good, you know. Uh, I would like to say, considering what we're about to talk about, that I'm really sugar-free, or at least on my way, but I still am struggling with, with the very thing that you seem to be involved with, which is basically helping people reduce their sugar content in their in their diet and dealing with sugar addiction. Tell us how you got into this intriguing, if not somewhat unfortunate subject. Okay. I am married. I have a husband and I have two sons that are adults now. But when they were little and growing up, we were sick a lot, all four of us. And we were sick more often than I thought we should be. And uh, it was hard for us to be sick that much. And so I knew that I needed to make some changes. And I thought one of them was nutrition, what we ate. So I started to do some research and realized that the body needs so many things to be healthy that we get from food that I started to make changes in our diet. We also found out that our youngest son was gluten intolerant, and so the whole family went gluten-free. And I am sensitive to wheat. I'm not gluten intolerant, but when I quit eating gluten, I felt better. Mm-hmm. So that was one change we made. I increased vegetables. I increased fruit. I increased whole foods was the main thing I did. So there was that part of it that I really wanted to have our family be healthier than we were. And then there was another component that kind of brought the the sugar issue into it, is that I experienced postpartum depression after both of my sons were born. Really? Had, Had never been depressed before, but I found that when I decreased sugar in my diet, it helped relieve the depression symptoms. Did you, uh, did you read anything about that or was that just a personal discovery? Both. 
uh, the research I had done, there was research on a link between sugar causing inflammation and increasing depression symptoms. And so I started to experiment a little bit just with myself in cutting back on sugar and I could feel a difference. So that is how I got motivated and involved in nutrition and how important it is. When you uh, made the conversion to better, more whole food for your family, did the sickness decrease? Yes. And uh, did, did your children, I guess they were older when this happened, right? They were not infants or toddlers anymore, but they were, I think it was in, uh, my youngest son was in elementary school, and I think my son was in middle school, so that was about the age. But there, there was a difference. We were all beginning to be healthier, less colds, less uh, problems in the, in, with digestion, with stomach aches. Uh, and, you know, my younger son, after he quit eating gluten, I remember him saying to me, Mom, I thought having a stomachache often was just part of life, that that was just normal. And we found out that that is not normal. So, yes, we all started feeling better. Did they, how did they take it? I mean, did they, did they long for the days of, uh, I don't know, uh, some kind of sugar cereal and... <laughs> you know, a lot of candy and stuff, or did they adapt to it fairly coherently? That That's a great question. They adapted pretty well. In fact, you know, one thing I thought was interesting, when my kids were little and they went trick-or-treating on Halloween, mm -hmm. I actually did not limit their intake of sugar because... I found with me that when I ate too much sugar, I didn't feel good. And that actually helped me limit my intake. And that is exactly what happened with both of my sons. They ate, you know, when they first went trick-or-treating, they ate a lot of candy when they got home. And the next day, they didn't feel good. And so as the years went by, I would find that I would go in their room and their bag of trick-or-treat candy would still be in their closet. It was full. That, that's really interesting. So they, they empirically realized there was some connection. They did. And so then I would say, is it okay if I throw your Halloween candy away? They would say, yes, please throw it away. And so <laughs> as the years went on, they would go trick-or-treating on Halloween just for fun you know, to be with their friends and to get the candy, but they ate very little. Well, Kathy, what about in your family life and in your own personal experience, would you say that you or any of your family were actually addicted to sugar at, at, before you started in on this program? I know that I am addicted to sugar. And it took me about six months when I started to reduce it before uh, the craving went away. And I would say my husband and my two sons have, have all said that they are addicted to sugar. And we have worked as a family to uh, get it out of our diet. With me, uh, the thing that helped me is 
There is a product called a Lara Bar. Uh, and, could you spell that? Uh-huh. It is L-A-R-A, Lara Bar. Mm-hmm. And some of them do have sugar in them. So you have to be careful when you buy them. You have to check the ingredients list. But a lot of them have no sugar in them. They're just fruit, dates, and nuts. So I just kept a Lara bar with me all the time. And when I would have a sugar craving, I would take just a bite of the Lara bar, and it would take that craving away. Well, let's get into, since you're talking about Lara bar, and it has, you know, dates in it and fruit in it, there are obviously various things that someone means when they say sugar. And um, fructose is a different kind of sugar than is in, you know, a lot of candy bars, which would be sucrose. And when you're, when you're talking about sugar, are you talking about sucrose specifically? Or are you more broad in your understanding of what sugar would mean? Oh, I appreciate that question, Johnny, very much, because that goes into what my master's thesis is about. I am comparing the sugar that is made by nature versus the sugar that is made by man. The sugar that is made by nature is glucose and fruit sugar, which is fructose, but it's fruit sugar. The two sugars that are made by man Those are sucrose and high fructose corn syrup. So when I am talking about reducing sugar in your diet, I'm talking about reducing sucrose and high fructose corn syrup. Glucose glucose and the fruit sugar our body can metabolize and can use. But sucrose and high fructose corn syrup, our body doesn't metabolize well. That's very interesting. So basically, you managed to escape from being addicted to sucrose and high fructose. But what about, for a second, I know this isn't maybe in your thesis, what about all these artificial sweeteners? You know, what do you think about them? My research has indicated that they are extremely dangerous. I agree. And I, I, I would just recommend people stay away from them. But I don't have a lot of information about those. I have read a little bit about xylitol, that it is supposed to be less dangerous on our teeth and on the body. But I haven't done much research on that, Johnny. Okay. So exactly, uh, like, what is the title of your, of your uh, master's thesis? It is Sugar Made by Nature versus sugar made by man. Ah, so that really does sum it up, doesn't it? That, yeah, that is it. (laughs) Well, I'm looking at, you know, I'm taking a sort of an eagle's eye look at the United States, as I understand it from my experience in different cities, my family, from media. I would say that uh, if there is such a thing as sugar addiction, which I know there is, uh, Almost everybody in the United States could easily become addicted, couldn't they? Considering what happens when you walk into a supermarket, what happens yes. when you see any kind of media talking about food. I agree. And, and Johnny, I, it has been so interesting for me to learn about how prevalent 
sucrose and high fructose corn syrup have become in the food market and in our diet in the last 30 years. And it was a relief for me to learn the history of some government decisions that were made that have made these two sugars that are made by man so prevalent in the food market and in our diet. I'll tell you what, that is a very important point, and I'd like to come back to it in a few minutes. Okay. But let's take a commercial break now, and um, we will return to this rather fascinating peek at uh, the American diet and the dangers that we face every single time we walk into a supermarket or a store. Here's a remarkable song by Zave Nathan and Bonnie Blazak called Change. children, peace for all men and women, peace in all time. This is Johnny Bluestar, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. One of the most exciting projects I've regularly been involved in is the creation of nonfiction books, often collaborating with new authors on a wide variety of topics, either through editing or through writing, sometimes being guided by the client's direction or collaborating directly with the client. In this capacity, I've worked on a book on abolishing the caste system in India a system of selling with integrity and sensitivity towards client and product, several fascinating memoirs, one with a Korean war veteran and crime fighter, another with one of the greatest ventriloquists and television producers in the 50s and 60s. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com and fill out the contact form. We're back on the air with... Kathy Hogan, and we are discussing sugar addiction, which is part of her subject for her master's thesis at the University of Utah. And we, Kathy has just spoken about the various actions of government that have really allowed sugar to become proliferated in all our foods. Could you uh, go into detail about this, Kathy? Yes, it was so interesting to me to, to learn this history. The, the first farm bills that were passed under the New Deal, and they were passed between 1933 and 1938, they were intended to take the excess farmland out of production and bring the agricultural supply and demand into balance. And that's pretty much what they did. But then... In the 1970s, 
the philosophy of farm bills changed. And this happened under the leadership of Richard Nixon and his Secretary of Agriculture, Earl Butts. And what happened is there, there had been a sharp rise in food prices. And this prompted the CEOs of the home, formerly known as housewives. I like to call them CEOs of the home. <laughs> okay. Well, my, anyway, wife, my wife is definitely the CEO. That's well, for sure. I, I think it is that way often. But so the CEOs of the home were protesting that food prices had become so high. Well, President Nixon decided that if he didn't get the prices of food down, he may not be reelected in 1972. Really? Yes. So President Nixon actually told the American public that he was going to make some changes in the Department of Agriculture that would produce more food in the United States so we would be able to feed um, the hungry people in the whole world. And that's what we were told. But his motivation was, was really to help him get reelected. Now, this is my opinion, and I have done research in this, but I do believe it. What you mean you think that Richard Nixon would ever deceive the American people? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I do. I think that's I a general was... consensus these days. <laughs> Well, at least, at least, he did, at least, at least, he didn't tweet about it all the time. Ah, good point. So go, go ahead. So he uh, he just put some really ambitious and aggressive cheap food policies, and and what I think is interesting is Richard Nixon defeated George McGovern in 1972 in one of the largest electoral landslides in U.S. history. So that decision he made did get him reelected, but it also changed how subsidies were done here in America. And farmers were encouraged to produce as much corn as possible. Oh, okay. <laughs> this resulted in a series of record corn harvests, and the market was flooded with cheap corn that was often available below the cost of production. So uh, the farm bills encouraged farmers to grow more for a higher profit. And this made the large farms, um, they bought out the small farms, pushed family farmers off their land. So, um, so then we had an overproduction of corn that was modified for industrial applications. Okay. And so this, this motivated the uh, development of high fructose corn syrup so that it could be used. What is, uh, besides high fructose corn syrup, what other industrial applications would there be? This is what led to uh, the factory farming, the industrial or factory farming, where uh, the cattle on these farms are fed corn instead oh, okay. of being free to graze on grass. And the lack of a grass diet and then having the cows confined causes ulcers in the cow's stomach and because of too much acid. And the cows become ill with acidosis and they must be treated with antibiotics to save their lives. 
And so because of this problem, 70% of the antibiotics used in the United States are consumed by livestock. And another thing that I think is so interesting is that if you eat a steak, the average steak from a feedlot raised cow contains as much as 9 grams of saturated fat and compare that to 1.3 grams of saturated fat from a grass-fed cow. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? Yeah, and also this thing about the antibiotics. I mean, a lot of people think that the antibiotics uh, contribute to the death of, uh, you know, the bacteria in the stomach, which leads to problems with, say, something like leaky gut and various autoimmune types of reactions. Yes. And so we're, we're getting, you know, traces of antibiotics, not just from the doctors, but we're getting them from our food. And that's Excellent uh, point, yes. And of course, when I was younger, which was several thousand years ago, <laughs> well, I'm just being honest. Well, actually, this particular problem occurred in the 20th century, I will say, is, I, you know, if I got sick, I got antibiotics. And I'm sure that that didn't help me later on. So when, when we say that um, when you have the immune system damaged, I would think that the reaction to a sugar product would be even more intense. Yes. And I also identify with what you said about taking antibiotics. That's what was happening with my family. The four of us, we were on antibiotics a lot. And, and I agree that, that that damaged the good bacteria in our gut and damaged the immune system so that we weren't able to fight off infections. Well, you know, the, um, I want to sort of bring in another subject here. I mean, one of the people who, who's a regular in my program is Dr. Hugo Rodier. And Dr. Hugo Rodier is a specialist in integrative medicine. And his specialty, particularly, is nutrition, because he feels that there is uh, really some tremendous dangers in our food. And this, these dangers in our food and the way to deal with them, which is part, partly what your thesis is about, is based on a, a history of medical avoidance of the problems with sugar and other products that we use in our food. Yes, I, I agree with that. And, and that is why I wanted to move our family to eating whole foods. Uh, I just do not buy processed foods anymore. Yeah, it's just um, what I'm trying to say is that a lot of the medical community probably is waking up now. But uh, all of our research in this country has been really dedicated to various kinds of artificial products, uh, pharmaceuticals, often sometimes oh. sy synthesized uh, forms of, uh, of natural substances so that they could get a patent. And so you have a, you have a sort of collaboration between the, the food industry and the pharmaceutical industry, creating this, um, this lack of real educated choice. Would you say that's true? I would agree. And that, that goes along, too, with another problem that happened in, in the 1980s that also has, a, that is part of 
increasing the prevalence of sucrose and high fructose corn syrup. And I'll just mention this briefly, Johnny. Sure. But um, in the early 1980s, the government was advocating a low-fat diet. And this was based basically on a scientific opinion that the fat and cholesterol from meat and dairy products were responsible for the rising rates of heart disease. And this was really based on a scientific opinion. It was not based on research. And so, <laughs> a scientific opinion not based on research <laughs> is a kind of, a, a kind of a oxymoron, I would say. Yes, I would agree. And so what happened during this time is food manufacturers were taking fat out of food. But when they took the fat out of food, they realized that it didn't have any flavor left and people weren't going to buy it. And so they started adding sugar so that the food, the food would taste good. It would look good and people, people would still buy it. So that also helped make those two sugars more prevalent in foods. And what I think is fascinating is when, when you go shopping, if you look at anything that's in a package, which we all should be doing, I believe, you will find that there is sugar in almost everything. There's sugar in ketchup. There's sugar in foods you may not realize have sugar in them. I'm going to tell you what I consider to be an extremely sad story. Okay. I do not like salad without salad dressing. And I'm also a little bit lazy, although we are beginning to do a lot of our food preparation here to avoid what happens in a store. So I would look for a salad dressing. I go to a, a really nice supermarket. The people are really great people. And I go to look for the salad dressing. And yay, they have like 40 or 50 kinds. And Paul Newman it takes at least a quarter of the shelf. But anyway, so I found, I think it was Cardini that made an Italian dressing that did not have sugar. One out of, I don't know how many. I say 40 or 50, probably 100 maybe. Uh, salad dressings. And they discontinued it. And I oh. keep asking, please bring this back. And they go, oh, yeah. And they never do. And they have some, in, in some shelves somewhere else, they do have a few samples of things that are more or less okay. But not very tasty, I would say. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and it just amazed me that in the main place where there are all these incredible number of different brand names, none of them have uh are, are really sugar free and uh you know like you say you go down the, you go look for almost anything and it's all tainted with uh fructose corn syrup and and sucrose yes and this is uh, this is uh, an astounding you know we talk about the fda and you know the various you know we're we're going to go ahead and rid our food of very objectionable poisonous substances well they they sort of classify those substances as things other than the things that are really causing some of the major poisoning in the food. That would include, you know, the hormones and antibiotics and milk and stuff like that. Yes. So um, it's pretty astounding. Well, I think um, we've we've reached the end of this break. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. We've reached the end of this uh, portion of our show. And we're going to take a break now, Kathy. Okay. Is that okay? 
Very good. Thank you. It is the 15th century. El Tesoro de Cielo, a Spanish treasure ship, sends a scouting expedition to a strange island. Golden statues surrounding them prove the enormity of their find. Suddenly, hordes of ghoulish creatures with scaly green flesh and skeletal wings descend upon them from the sky. What do you think of this, Rufio? These creatures are fragile, Captain. We can take them with our swords. They seem supernatural. Who knows what powers they possess? Fallen angels weakened by their treason. My God, are you saying they're Nephilim, the devil's host? I'm saying whatever they are, we can take them. Do any of you cowards dare join me? Up against sharp knife-like nails and hideous fangs, the men's swords rip into slimy green flesh. Though black blood pours copiously from their half-naked bodies, creatures miraculously persist. Can the crew survive this bloody, cursed battle? Find out more by googling The Thrice Born, a new sci-fi supernatural novel by Carlos Lopez Avery and Johnny Blue Star. Google with the words Carlos Johnny Kindle, The Thrice Born. That's Carlos Johnny Kindle, The Thrice Born. This is Johnny Blue Star, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company specializing in wide-ranging content like books, screenplays, ads, web content, etc. Besides creating written content, we provide website design, graphics, and music as components of content creation. Robert Zalo supervises our art and graphics division, helping clients to create book covers, ads, logos, and web design elements. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com and fill out the contact form. We're back with Kathy Hogan discussing sugar addiction, and the various implications of this tremendous problem that we're having in the United States. I think, uh, Kathy, maybe we could start to talk a little bit about the um, health consequences uh, of having sugar and high fructose syrup. What do you think? Yes. Yes, it's, it's important. And I have done research on this while working on my thesis, and there is research to um, back up all, all of these things that I'm going to say okay. that, that sugar contributes to. Eating too much sucrose and high fructose corn syrup contributes to a meta- metabolic syndrome, to cancer, to obesity, and to depression. So, uh, Kathy, uh, give, give us some understanding of what metabolic syndrome is. Metabolic syndrome is a group of conditions that include increased blood pressure, high blood sugar, excess body fat around the waist, and abnormal cholesterol or triglyceride levels. And if you have those increased levels, that increases the risk of heart disease and stroke. So consuming too much sucrose and high fructose corn syrup can contribute to that group of conditions and increase your risk of heart disease and stroke. Pretty serious stuff. But you're also you're also talking I I think you you know, the other thing that we haven't discussed too much about it contributes to obesity, right? Yes. Yes. Tell us how that works metabolically. Why does it um, contribute to obesity? Why would taking sugar do that? Part of the problem is that when we eat glucose 
and fruit sugar fructose, those two sugars that are made by nature, our body can metabolize it. Glucose, all of the organs in the body need it. And so most of the calories in glucose go to your organs, it goes to the body, and not very much is sent to the liver. And then when you eat fruit sugar, fructose, that when nature has fructose, it provides a lot of fiber with it that slows down the absorption. And so bacteria can get to it and help us digest it. But the problem with sucrose and high fructose corn syrup is that the body doesn't need it. It doesn't, so it doesn't send it out into the body. It just goes to the liver. And the liver cannot metabolize that many calories. It's excess. It's too much. And so it causes high levels of insulin. And um, a high sugar diet, because of that, becomes a high fat diet and, and causes the body to become obese. I think that maybe you could go into a little more the, the relationship between, I mean, how the sort of cellular mechanisms involved in uh, ingesting sugar and its relationship to insulin and, and, and causes insulin resistance, this type of thing. Can you go into that? I can, Johnny. And I'm going to find my notes again. Okay. And I also want to say that I also know that I am not a doctor. I am not an MD. And so when I teach people about sugar, I will teach the basics of how the body metabolizes. But I also recommend that people watch a video that is available on YouTube that is done by Dr. Robert Lustig, L-U-S-T-I-G. And it's called Sugar, the Bitter Truth. And Dr. Lustig, he's an endocrinologist. He actually has a clinic in San Francisco. He's also a professor that teaches. But he has a a clinic. Uh, He works with children and obesity. And Dr. Lustig will go into detail, medical detail, on how these four different types of sugar are metabolized and how the body deals with it. And he does such a good job that I would recommend everybody, if you can, get on YouTube, find this lecture and listen to it because it will really teach you the the details of why the body has such a hard time with sucrose and high fructose corn syrup and why it leads to disease. Excellent. That, that's really good because the more that people learn about this, the better it will be. And, you know, you're having to counteract so much advertising, so much false promotion, so much untru- untruth in our media environment. And um, so that's really important. So tell us, uh, tell us something about, you know, the – now I'm talking about the symptoms of someone who's a sugar addict. I mean, how do they behave? How do they experience their addiction as opposed to, um, well, we're going to talk about the withdrawal symptoms if you try to give it up. But what, what happens to them while they are addicted? All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to use me as the example uh-huh. because um, 
I know that I'm addicted to sugar, although I don't eat it now. I, it's something I work at all the time, though, and I have to be careful that I don't eat something with sugar that I didn't realize would have sugar in. But just to kind of give you an idea, I used to love, I won't say the, the candy company, uh, they, they make a delicious caramel chocolate. <laughs> and it was my favorite. And and I, I just felt like I was eating too many of them. So one day, I sat down and I said, I'm going to see how many of these I can eat before I feel saturated. And by saturated, I mean to the point where I really didn't want any more, you know, that I'd had enough and they weren't tasting good anymore. And, and these are fairly large candies, but I could eat eight of them. And I ate eight of them in succession. And, and I was saturated. I didn't want any more, but I also didn't feel good. I, I got a headache. I felt irritable. I had brain fog. And for me, those were my symptoms of eating too much sugar. Did you find yourself putting on weight when you were eating sugar back in those days? You know, that, that is one area that I didn't find to be true with me. But I also have to say that just in general, I, I don't put on weight easily. That isn't an issue that I have dealt with. But, but I had so many, just the brain fog and the depression symptoms and just not feeling well, feeling unmotivated, feeling tired, feeling lethargic. Could you tell me a little bit more about the brain fog and the lethargy? I mean, do you find, this is something I've been finding about myself recently, unfortunately, I'm still taking sugar. Now, I will actually not eat sugar for certain periods of time, but I'm still going back to sugar. And when I do that, I, I've noticed that, that I get to a point where I'm totally unmotivated, where, where I, feel, I feel very strange. I feel like doing nothing. Is that related to uh, possibly some kind of re response to sugar? I believe it is. I found, and, and even, even if I do, you know, I have to go back a little bit. When I first started reducing sugar, there were a couple of times that I thought, oh, you know, I went to a social gathering where there was chocolate cake for dessert. And I thought, I'm just going to have one bite. You know, one <laughs> bite will be okay. Well, I took one bite. I ended up eating the whole piece and didn't feel good physically later or, or emotionally. I didn't feel good. So sorry, Johnny, get me back to your original question. About well, I was talking about, I was talking, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually feel it's strange because I'm a highly motivated person in my normal state. But I've been, and what I do in the beginning of the day is I, I will eat salad. I mean, I'll kind of alkalinize my body. But after a while, I've started, I've, I've, been, I've been experimenting with this stuff my whole life. And uh -huh. I have had periods of time where I didn't eat sugar. But I had also other problems about staying with it for, for a long, long time. And so I'm in, a, in the midst of this experiment, and I'm seeing that when I relapse, I will get sleepy, I'll get tired, but I'll also get into a state where I, I am very lethargic and I do not care. I'm not saying that if you press me, I wouldn't care, but but I'm just <laughs> saying I, would, I, I can't really concentrate. 
And I never really, com- I attributed it to diet to an extent, but I didn't exactly pinpoint it. At any rate, Kathy, uh, I really appreciate you coming today, and I hope that you will return for our next program, and we'll be listening to something from Dr. Rodier now, and we'll be right back. Excellent. Thank you, Kathy. And now Dr. Rodier, MD, is here with us today to discuss various topics from the standpoint of integrative medicine. Integrative medicine is a medical discipline that puts an emphasis on nutrition and lifestyle as critical elements for true health and happiness. Hi, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Today, I want to uh, highlight a great SKNA survey. They're an outfit that uh, surveys the nation from time to time, quite reputable. They surveyed a whole lot of doctors. In fact, uh, 297,000 medical practices representing 740,000 physicians. And they found that the number of docs who still receive drug reps in their practices continues to drop. Now, last year, uh, excuse me, in the year 2010, it was 50%. 50% of docs would see drug reps. And now 2016, it it has dropped to 35.2%. I believe this will continue to drop. I quit seeing drug reps years and years ago, decades ago. Uh, I think that uh, their information is tainted. It's quite given to marketing. Uh, the real evidence is it's not published in the journals. We know that uh, about one third of medical research is tainted by statistical quirks or outright lying. And often the negative studies against the particular drug are not published at all. So if you were to throw all the studies in a hopper and publish them all, you would see that drugs are not as efficient, not as beneficial, not, not as harmless as we have been led to believe. So I believe that this number dropping from 50 from 50% of doctors to 35% of doctors seeing drug reps signals that doctors are beginning to realize these simple facts that we've known for decades. The pharmaceutical industry, as much as we needed in acute cases, you know, like a heart attack or a stroke or a car wreck or some other catastrophe. Yes, we need drugs for those very immediate uh, emergent uh, situations. Uh, But when we start to use the same drugs for chronic diseases, uh, diabetes, hypertension, cholesterol, depression, uh, they don't work as well. The best way has always been, always will be, to change our lifestyle, to work on those things that have created the problem, which uh, always fall into nutrition, uh, lifestyles, uh, stress, toxicity in the environment. So, pharmaceuticals are beginning to feel the pinch and stay tuned because in the future we'll talk about what they're looking at to prop up their sagging revenues and that is the manufacturing, the invention of new vaccines. For more information about Dr. Rodier's practice, books, blogs, and newsletters, contact Hugo Rodier, MD, at www.hugorodier.com. That's H-U-G-O-R-O-D-I-E-R.com. This is Johnny Bluestar, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. Threshold Radio is owned by New Galaxy Enterprises, a full-service media content development company. Sponsors not only get ads on the program, but are offered packages including website design, graphics, audio, video, music, and jingles. 
Programs are archived and continue to be promoted beyond their first broadcast. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com and fill out the contact form. This is Johnny Bluestar. We all live very closely or within ourselves to an immense journey of self-discovery and adventure. For humanity, both the wide expanse of stars and the infinitely wider space within ourselves beckon us to make that leap forward. Thank you for making Threshold Radio part of your journey. Be well and keep cosmic. We go out now with Patricia Welch singing her version of La Vie en Rose, written by another great songstress, the legendary Edith Piaf. Des yeux qui font baisser la mière Un rire qui souperçait sa bouche Voilà la porte pressant les touches De l'homme qu'elle a japantière Comme de me prendre ses bras Il m'est pas J'avoue la vie en rose Il me dit des mots d'amour Des mots de tous les gens Et ça me fait quelque chose Il est entré dans mon De bonheur dont j'ai connu la cause. Il a pour moi ma pluie dans la vie. Il me le dit la pas la vie. Et de que je l'aperçois. Alors je sens en moi mon cœur qui bat. Il me dit des 
mots d'amour, des mots de tous les gens, et ça me fait quelque chose. Il est entré dans mon cœur pour ne pas de bonheur dont je connais. 